they know what they're talking about, okay? Because even though they're, they're small, they have major messages. And so that's what we have. That's what we're talking about. And so I want to help you and help me to memorize the books of the minor prophets in order in the Scriptures, okay? And so we have a, a list of them. Let's pull them up. If we can, Dan, we're going to walk through them. You can repeat them with me. I want you to be able to have them memorized by the time we get done going through the minor prophets, okay? So it starts with this. Say them with me. Ready? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Okay? By the time we're done with this, you're going to have them memorized. You're never going to forget them. You're going to know for sure exactly where they're at when somebody says, hey, turn over to Zephaniah. You're going to know where it's at when somebody tries to tease you and tell you to turn over to Hezekiah. You're going to know it's not a book in the Bible. Okay? Uh, You're going to have this figured out by the time it's all said and done. And uh, I'm excited about that. I hope that you're learning. Now, as we mentioned last week, while the books in the Bible are listed this way, that's not chronological, okay? And so we've been walking through, and we're going to walk through these books chronologically in order of when they were written. And so uh, last week we mentioned the first one was Jonah. Jonah was the first one that was written. After him was Amos. And then last week we dove into the book of Hosea. Today we find our way to the book of Micah. Micah. And so if you find your way there this morning, that's where we're going to start. Let's begin, have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into kind of an overall view, a big big sky view of the book of Micah, and uh, and really get an idea. My goal through these studies is so when, when you're reading these books of the Bible, you'll understand what's going on, all right? You'll, you'll have a better understanding of what's taking place when you're reading through them and reading about all the judgments and things that are happening. You'll know who he's talking to, why he's saying what he's saying, and have kind of an idea of who the author is and what's taking place there so that we can better understand the Word of God. Let's pray, ask for the Lord's help, and then we're going to dive into learning about the book of Micah this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be able to come and open your Word for a few moments. And I pray now that as we dive into your Word, that God, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you for the power that's in your word, and I thank you for the promise that anytime your Word goes forth, it won't return void. And so, God, I pray today that, Lord, not only would you bless your word as it goes, but I pray, God, that you would soften the hearts of the hearers. I pray, God, there would be good soil so that your, the seed of your word can, can be planted deeply, and, God, our lives can produce fruit for you because of what we learned today. Help me, Lord, as I, as I preach, Lord, to be able to say only what you want me to say, to be able to be an encouragement and help. And I pray, God, that if somebody's here this morning that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they don't know for sure that they spend eternity in heaven, I pray today that they'd get that settled. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Micah was written by none other than Micah. Okay, that's the, the, book, of, uh, the book of Micah is no, written by Micah. I know you're probably like, okay, that makes sense. But that's, that's uh, okay, we got to start with the basic things first, okay? It was written by Micah. There's, there's not a lot that we really know about him outside of a few background uh, details that we find that he says about himself, uh, where he came from, and, and then a little bit about what his name means. According to verse number one, we find that Micah was, uh, was a Morisite, okay? Which was, he, he was from a town that was located the foothills of Judah, about 25 miles southwest from Jerusalem. And as a, as a resident of that area, area, Micah, like one of the contemporaries of his, one of the people that was prophesying at the same time as him, Amos, Micah would have been just a good old country boy. 
All right, he, he, he wasn't some guy that was raised in the city. He wasn't some guy that was, that was familiar with the politics of the day. And, and he didn't know necessarily all the, 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 the details of all the, the, the grub that was going on in the big city that was happening. Micah was just a good old boy out in the country, probably a farmer of some sort. That's who Micah was. And yet God chose this unlikely source to deliver a message of judgment to the leaders and the people of Jerusalem. In addition to the location of where he was from, we know what his name means. Micah asks a question in his very name. His name means, who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord? A question that, that his name comes, uh, that comes up with. It, it, it literally from his very name points to the power and the prominence of God and it points us to Him. And as we look at the book this morning, I think we're going to see that's exactly what Micah does as we, by the time we reach the end of this book. That he points directly to the Lord. Who is like the Lord? Micah's prophecy was written over a period of about 25 to 30 years, ending roughly in the year 710 B.C., about the same time that the book of Hosea came to its end. That was when Micah wrote. His contemporaries, as we've already talked about, were, of course, Hosea, Amos, and Jonah. But his closest contemporary when it came to writing would have been the major prophet Isaiah because both of them were writing primarily to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, just because Isaiah... Isaiah is one of the major prophets, and why he's called the major prophet is because he, he couldn't wrap it all up into a couple of chapters like Micah did, okay? His book is 66 chapters long, Micah's book is 7 chapters long, but it doesn't mean that one of them is more important than the other. Both of them had an important message that they were delivering to Judah, that they were delivering to the country. And we find in, in verse number 1 that he addresses it to these people. It says this, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, the more... In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. The book of Micah, as he's writing to these people, as he's writing to Judah, he, he, he breaks it down into really three different parts, each one beginning with a simple command to hear. To hear. In chapter number 1, verse number 2, he makes this command. The next, next section begins in chapter number 3, verse number 1. And the final section begins in chapter number 6, verse number 1. If you want a nice clean outline, okay, uh, the first section deals with the punishment that's coming in chapters 1 and 2. The second section deals with the promises God will keep in chapters 3 through 5. And the third section deals with the pardon they would experience in verses 6 through 7. All right, now for everybody that, that needed all of the details and, and is, is, is sitting down and writing down all of this, this information, there you go. Now you got it all, okay? I hope that you're happy and you're pleased because I'm not much of an outline guy, uh, but, uh, but there you go, okay? So, so as we dive into it, okay, the first part there, ver chapters 1 and 2, he deals with punishment. Punishment, or, or maybe better said, correction uh, with, with Israel. God, through his prophet Micah, delivers and declares that judgment is coming. In verses, uh, verse number 5, he says this, For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria as a heap on a field, and as planting of a vineyard. 
I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley. I will discover the foundations thereof. He says, listen, I am going to completely destroy. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces. All the hires thereof shall be burned with fire. All the idols thereof will I lay desolate. For she gathered it out of the hire harlot, and they shall return to the hire of a harlot. Here, he's declaring, Micah's declaring upon Judah, judgment is coming, and your nation is going to be destroyed. It's going to be wiped out. In fact, the, the judgment that he foretold that was going to happen actually took place in 2 Kings chapter number 17. In 2 Kings chapter number 17, he, he deals with this, and he begins in verse number 13. He, in the, the first, uh, about 18 verses of the, the, the chapter, he deals with this. But in verse number 13, he refers to Micah. He doesn't call him by name, but we see him here. Yet the Lord testified against Israel, against Judah, by all the prophets, by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Here in, in, first, in Second Kings chapter number 17, he writes and he says, Listen, he says, You've been sent prophets who have prophesied against you and have told you that judgment is coming. Now, while we may look at that and we may say, man, God was a harsh God, understand this. No, 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 God was a merciful God. He let them know hundreds of years, for some of them, that judgment was coming. He let them know over a great period of time, while they were dwelling in their wickedness and in their sin, for for decades He gave them opportunity to repent. No, no, no. God is not uh, just a a, a God that's sitting there ready to judge. God was long-suffering to them. He, He gave them mercy upon mercy upon mercy in the midst of their wickedness. And in 2 Kings chapter number 17, uh, the Bible tells us that the judgment finally came. Assyria laid waste to Judah. And then some years later, Babylon would finish the job and wipe Israel off the map entirely. But as all the prophecies were given, we see the response of the people in 2 Kings chapter number 17, verses 14 through 17. As God would come to them, and as the prophets would come and say, judgment is coming, turn from your wicked ways. Judgment is going to to arrive. You need to stop what you're doing. You need to change your direction. We see how they responded in verse number 14. It says, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected His statutes, His covenant." that he made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he testified against him. And they followed vanity, became vain. They went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them, that they should not do like them. And they left the commandments of the Lord their God. They made molten images, even two calves. They made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And listen, listen to this. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through fire. They literally sacrificed their children. Used divinations and enchantments. They sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. God says, judgment is coming. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. And they said, no thanks God. We're not interested in your forgiveness. We're not interested in your mercy. We're not interested in your grace. No, we're going to do things our own way. And the Bible says they sold themselves to evil. To wickedness. They doubled down on the wickedness that they were doing. And continued in their evil ways. 
In the book of Micah, he gives further glimpse into what was taking place. In chapter number 3, verses 10 to 11, he says, They build up Zion with blood. They were sacrificing their children, sacrificing humans. It was a, an awful time. Here the people of God, the nation that was supposed to, I mean, the nation that was delivered from Egypt had turned their back on God. Jerusalem with iniquity. But here's what's, what's incredible. See if this sounds familiar. The heads thereof, they judge for reward. The priests thereof, teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet they will lean upon the Lord and say, oh, it's not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. The Bible tells us that the leaders of that nation, both political and religious, were controlled by money and personal gain. Oh yeah, what do you want? What do you want to happen? You want, you, want, you want this judgment? Okay, well how much money you got? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can do that. The preachers would stand up and, and, and they, would, they would take the scriptures and they'd say, hey listen, I've got something to tell you today. And they'd close the book, they'd set it down and they'd say, hey listen, uh, I want to talk to you about something. And, and whoever had paid them the most money that week was the one that they would you know, deal with whatever they wanted them to deal with. The leaders of that nation were corrupt. They were morally and loyally bankrupt. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) We live in a time where our nation's leaders and our largest religious leaders are controlled by money and power. Whoever pays the biggest bill. Our nation has rejected the word of God, has sold themselves to evil, gone after idols. And while Israel sacrificed their children on the altar of their false gods, we're sacrificing our children on the altar of convenience and social acceptance. Taking the lives of precious children while they're in the safest place that they could possibly be in the womb of a mother. Destroying a child mentally and emotionally by mutilating their bodies at the cries of gender confusion. You know, the reality is, is our nation isn't much different from what Judah was. But don't miss Micah's response. Because when he hears about the punishment that was coming to Judah because they had turned their back on God, we we find his response to that in verses 8 and 9. He says, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls, for her wounds are incurable. For it is come unto Judah, he has come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Did you catch that there? He said, listen, I am going to wail and I am going to howl. He says, I am broken over this. My heart is torn. My spirit is, is, is sorrowful. 
I'm broken because my nation, the people that I love, have turned their back on God. He fell before God, howling and crying and weeping. He said, listen, God's judgment's at the gates. I know that it's coming, and I'm broken over it. You know, I'm thankful for the country that I live in. I love our country. We, we, we've talked about this here recently. Even with all of its failures and all of its problems and all the things that we're facing, listen, it's still the greatest country on this earth. And, and I love the United States of America. And listen, we're teaching it to our kids. In fact, this morning, I, it's so funny, as I was writing my message earlier, I was thinking about this, and this morning, we, whenever we woke up, my kids are in the, live, or in the, in the kitchen, and they're singing, uh, I'm proud to be an American, where at least, and I'm just like, okay, you know, I, it made me laugh. They're, the, one of their favorite songs is God Bless the USA. I mean, like, they, they, love, they love that song, and they'll ask, you know, Jackson all the time, he's gonna be, he sings it, you know, and he just, he loves that song. Our kids, that we're, we're raising them up to be thankful that we live in the greatest country on earth. And listen, friend, if you don't think it's the greatest country on earth, then by by all means, buy a one-way ticket and go somewhere else, okay? This is still the greatest country on earth, and I'm thankful for that. And just like you, I get upset and frustrated when I see some of the things that are going on in our world. And man, it burns when I see some of the, the, the stuff that they're shoving, the garbage that they're shoving down our kids' throats in the schools and, and, and the things that are taking place and the way the politicians are trying to push all of the, their, the, the, the agendas on, on those that are trying to stand for what is right. Listen, it burns me up just like it does you. But I wonder, when's the last time, instead of getting angry, going and finding somebody else that we can commiserate together and get angry together. When, when is the last time, instead of doing that, we responded like Micah? And instead of just getting mad, we became broken before God. Second Chronicles 7.14, we know the verse. The Bible says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. You know, I was thinking maybe the reason we aren't seeing God healing is because God isn't seeing His people kneeling. Because what happens so many times is in our anger, we stand up and we try to do what only we can do. But when we kneel before God, then we see God do what only He can do. You remember when Moses tried to, I mean, he was, he was angry what was going on with the oppression of the children of Israel. It, it, it angered him to see what was happening to the Hebrews. You remember what he, he decided to do? He took it into his own hands. And he killed one of the Egyptian guards. And then he had to flee for his life. Oh, I just got to do something about this. Forty years later, God says, okay, Moses, you've had your chance. Now it's my turn. You tried to deliver that one Hebrew, that one Israelite. Let me show you whenever we do things my way. And he delivered the entire nation of Israel. 
You see, we can get so frustrated and so angry. And and listen, there is a righteous indignation that should well up in us whenever we see people trying to attack some of the most vulnerable uh, parts of our society, especially when it comes to our children. And listen, there should be something in us that makes us want to stand. But friend, may we not stand before we bow. And come like Micah and cry out to God. A nation that turns its back on God is sure to fall. And God has been merciful to our country for these past 247 years. But listen, judgment could be just around the corner. And I wonder if that does anything in us to make us bow before Him. And be broken before our Father. It's time that Christians get stirred up. Instead of going to blows, instead we we bow before God. And in humility call out and say, God, I'm broken for my country. Micah saw the coming judgment and the coming punishment. But but then we come to verses, chapters 3 through 5, and we find the promises that he mentions. The promises. Now, when we think of promises, immediately our mind goes to positive things. Well, I promise I'm going to do this. I promise I'm going to do that. And so immediately uh, we, we think of it in a positive light. And oftentimes that is the case. And many times in the Bible I'm thankful for the promises of God that are positive. But that's not the only thing that God promises whenever he talks about this. He, he also promises that judgment was going to come. And, and God is faithful to deliver on his promises. In Micah chapter number 3, verse number 1, he says, and, and I said, here I pray, O heads of Jacob and you princes of the house of Israel. He begins by declaring judgment on the ruler, promises that judgment is coming. He says there, he says, and the princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? Judgment's coming. Who were they? Were they were the ones that hated good, that loved either evil, who pluck off their skin from off of them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skins from them. They break their bones, shut them in pieces as for the pots and his flesh within the cauldrons. I don't have to go into great detail, detail here. I think you can read into this and understand what was happening here. Disgusting. Gross. I mean, like these people were, were literally, they were sacrificing people. They were consuming people you talk about wickedness that was the leaders of this country and then he deals with judgment on the false prophets in verses five through seven thus saith the lord concerning the prophets that make people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace and he that putteth not into his into their mouth they even prepare war against him therefore night shall fall be unto you that ye shall have no visions and it shall be dark unto you that ye shall not divine and the sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them then shall the seers be ashamed the diviners confounded yea they shall all cover their lips for there is no answer of God God says listen he says here's your judgment prophets he said I'm not speaking to you anymore The fount is turned off. Silence is what you are going to get. You're not going to hear anything. It's done. You know what's interesting? You get to the end of the book of Malachi. And from the book of Malachi, it's actually the last, the final book of the the Old Testament. It's actually the book of Nehemiah. But you get to the end of that book. From that time until the book of Matthew, about 400 years go by. 
and we find that there was no prophet. There was no word from the Lord. For 400 years, silence. Judgment was coming. God promised and God always delivers. And then he deals with the judgment of the city of Jerusalem itself. In verse number 12, he says, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps and the mountains of the house as the high places of the forest. Listen, friend, God is faithful and God is always going to deliver on his promises. And when he promises destruction, they could be sure it was coming. The Bible, we, we, we just went through the book of James. The Bible tells us, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, sometimes it's physical death. But can I tell you this? Sin always leads to spiritual death. And you can mark it down. You think you can continue in your sin. You can play in your sin. And it's not that big of a deal. And, and, and nobody knows about it. And, and you know, I can get away with it. And it'll be okay. It's not, that, it's not that big. It's just a little sin and all this different stuff. And God says, listen, I promise you. You continue in sin. It ends in destruction. That's a promise from God. But then he goes on and... and, and In chapters 4 and 5, he begins to point to some of the precious promises of blessing to come. In verse number 1 of chapter number 4, he says, But in the last days it shall come to pass, that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established, and the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it, and many nations shall come and and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us His ways, and He will walk in His paths, and the law shall go forth to Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In verse number 5, He says, For all the people will walk, everyone, in the name of His God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Micah promised and prophesied that there was a day coming when Israel and Judah would and will turn back to the Lord, and God will deliver all. On his promises. The Abrahamic covenant would come through. The Davidic covenant would come through. God would keep his end of the deal in the midst of, of the rebellion, in the midst of their, their turning away from God. God said, listen, I will keep my promises. I will remain faithful. And the promises of chapter number four, listen, they're guaranteed because of the promise of chapter number five. Chapter number 5 has one of the most familiar verses that you find in the entire Old Testament. One that that many of us would probably know. In chapter number 5, verse number 2, he says this, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. Listen, friend, can I tell you this? He's coming here and he says, listen, he says, there's coming a day when I'm sending someone, someone that's going to change everything. That someone, It was Jesus. 
One day Jesus was going to be born, just like uh, some of these, the, 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 these Old Testament prophets that were really no names from the middle of nowhere. God was going to send a someone to the middle of nowhere in Bethlehem, a little city there that was going to be born of a virgin. He was going to change everything, and his name is Jesus. I love it. The end of chapter number 5, it's a message of victory over the enemies. Praise God that Israel's failures, listen, they did not negate God's promises and I'm thankful that even when I'm not faithful he still is he still is oh we've said it so many times but listen friend if you could lose your salvation you would you would my my mom grew up in a church that taught that you you could accept Christ as your savior but as time went on if you turned away from the Lord you could lose that salvation. You say, where did they base it on? I have no idea. They, they, they didn't really have a verse, I don't think. They just kind of made it up, all right? Now listen, uh, the, the, the reality is, is you might be able to point, pull out a couple of verses here or there out of context and shove it in and say, well, here, you know, maybe this is what it means. Listen, friend, I can show you verses and verses, tens, twenties, thirties, hundreds of verses that can point to that say you can't lose it. That it's not based upon you keeping it, it's based upon him keeping it. And listen, one of my favorite ones to go to. We, we just mentioned it, but listen, we'll go to it again because it's one of my favorites, okay? First Peter chapter number one, verse number three. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. Now when the Bible talks about hope here, it's not like hope like we think, all right? It's not like hope that like, see, I'm, I'm from Indiana, and so I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. And so on Sundays, we would come, you know, during football season, and I say, well, I hope the Colts win. And everybody here is like, yeah, but they probably won't, okay? And, you know, and, and, and I know that as well. It's, it's, it's wishful thinking, right, okay? That's, that's, that's kind of the way, way, way that, that we, we think, all right? Uh, hope, that's not what he's talking about. Hope here is a confidence, it's a confidence. Listen, he's given us a, a lively hope, a confidence. Listen, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he sealed it. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that was our proof. Listen, you need, you need proof that it's real. Jesus Christ isn't in the grave. But in case you wondered if you could lose it. Man, I love this. I, I'm just telling you, this is my favorite, okay? Verse number four. He says he gives us an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, that fadeth not away, that's reserved in heaven for you, who's kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. Listen, I mean, if you don't get it, it's just like he's like hammering it down over and over again. He's like, you cannot lose this thing yourself. And in case you thought you could, you're not kept by yourself. You're kept by the power of God. It isn't up to you. It's up to him. And listen, friend, God is always faithful even when you and I aren't. He's always faithful. You can mark it down. Every promise that you find in this book will come true. It will come to pass. God always keeps His Word. But listen, God doesn't keep His Word because you and I are good. He doesn't keep His promises because you and I are good. He keeps His promises because it's the very character of God. And He is good. That's who He is. He always keeps his promises. We see the punishment. We see the promises. And then he wraps up with the pardon. 
verse number six, or chapter number six and seven. He comes to, and, and I love this. This is, so, this is so cool. As we begin in chapter number six, he, he really, he calls Judah into a courtroom. And in verses one and two, he calls the creation to witness the testimony of Judah. He, he, he points to the mountains and he says, all right, mountains, he said, you come on in. All right, uh, hills, you, you come on in. He says, listen, the foundations of the earth, he says, okay, you're going to be the testimony here as well. And in verse number three, he says, okay, uh, Israel, go ahead, testify against me if I haven't been good to you. <laughs> oh, God had been so good. He had been so good to him. Verse number four, he says, hey, I brought you up out of Egypt. Redeemed you out of the house of the servants. Sent you before Moses, Aaron, Miriam. He says, listen, I've done so much for you. I've been nothing but good to you. If I haven't been good, then testify against it. They had nothing that they could say. Because God had been nothing but good to them. And then he comes to verse number 6. And he says this. It's, it's kind of it's neat. He comes, comes through. and He says in verse number 6, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord? He says, so, so what are we going to do with this? What, how, how, what are we going to do? How should we respond, Israel? What, Judah, what should we do here? Should I bow before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offering, with calves of a year old? Is that what God wants? Is that what He wants me to do to please Him? Is that what he, how He wants me to respond? Does He want me to sacrifice some, some cows? Does He want me to bow before Him? And, 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 what, what does God want? And, and then... Then he stretches it, all right? And, and like he starts to, I mean, like get, get a little crazy here. He says in verse number 7, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Or with 10,000 rivers of oil? I mean, like, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, if the whole Amazon River was filled with, with the oil that we, sacri- that we offered as a sacrifice, would that be enough? Or would 10,000 rivers be enough? Shall I give my own firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He says, listen, should, should, I, should I sacrifice my own children? Is that what God wants? And then Micah gives the answer in verse number 8. Look there. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. He says, God already told you what you need to do. How to respond. What did the Lord require of thee? Here's what it is. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. He wants us to live honestly and selflessly with those around us, with those in our life, to, to live in a way that, that, that is honest before the Lord and before man. That's what the idea of to do justly has. To love mercy. God has shown unfathomable amounts of mercy to us. And that's what He desires for us to show to others. And then this last part, I love this. And to walk humbly with thy God. Listen, He could have said anything. And He says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to walk with Christian, are you walking with God this morning? The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So God's word directs our steps. It lights our path for us. 
So we can see how we ought to walk. I love what the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse number 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God, I want to walk with you. I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me. And I want to walk by yourself. I want to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. And so I'm going to shine this light. Give me enough light so that I can just take that next step and just keep walking with you day after day after day after day. Listen, you know what, what he's getting to here, Mike is getting to here? He says, listen, I don't, he, God's not looking for some grand show of religiosity. He's not looking for, for some unbelievable thing where you take it and you put it on a billboard somewhere for everybody. That's not what he's looking for. No, what God is looking for is a daily personal relationship. Each day, walking closer and closer to Him. There's another man in the Bible that we know very little about. In fact, there's less verses about him than even Micah. His name is Enoch. Enoch. His life... Is, is, it's a fairly short study. If you want to do a character study on, the, on a life and, and you want to start somewhere that's fairly simple, start with Enoch. Okay, it's pretty simple. There's only a few verses that have to do with him that really talk about him. You, you find a couple in Genesis that we'll talk about. There's, there's one or two over there in Jude. That's pretty much the life of Enoch that you, that you can find. But what we know about the life of Enoch is convicting. And it's powerful. The thing that he was known best for was his simple testimony. In Genesis chapter number 5 verse 22 the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. He walked with God. Two verses later, verse number 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. It's, it's, it's an interesting verse, that, that verse. He, he walked with God and and then, and then God took him. It's, 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 kind of an, it's kind of interesting because we don't know exactly what happened to him, but I, I like to just kind of think that Enoch, listen, he, he made it such a priority to walk with God each and every day. Not something grand, I mean, just unbelievable, but I mean, just, he just walked with God each and every day for centuries. He just took steps just to get closer and closer to God. And I, I just kind of think that one day the Lord looked down and he saw Enoch and he said, man, you're not like those people down there anymore. You're more like me. And I kind of think he didn't, he, he kind of thought, you know what, it, it maybe said to Enoch, that world's not your home. Why don't you just come on to your real home, your eternal home. Enoch, I mean, I just kind of picture, he's just walking with God, he's just walking with God, and God says, okay, take one step in the world, and now, one step into my presence. Because he was just close to God. I wonder if that would be the desire of your heart. To walk so closely with the Lord that one day you could just take one step on this earth and the next step just be in His presence because you're closer to Him than you are here. To get to the point that you're more like Him than you are like the people of this earth. It's just something different. Because you've been walking with Him and walking with Him and walking with Him.
Is your desire that of the Apostle Paul's in Philippians 3.10 where he said that I may know him? I mean, really know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Do you want to know God more than anything? Then walk humbly with him. Walk humbly with him. I love how Micah wraps his book up. We come to chapter number 7, and, and we, I wish we had more time to go through the whole thing, but as we come to the end of the chapter, we get to verse number 18. I love what Micah says. Verse number 18, he says, Who is a God like unto thee? It's so cool. You know what's so cool about this? Remember what Micah's name meant? Who is like God? It's kind of like a play on his own name. I heard one preacher say, Micah may not have actually been his, 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 his name that he was born with. It may have been a name, the nickname that was given to him. Now, we don't know that for sure or not, but, but I, I, I kind of like that. Listen, Micah's life just pointed to the Lord, and at the end he said, listen, who's like him? Who is like him? Who is like him? It was a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, Passeth by the transgressions of the remnant of the heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Who, who does that? The answer, no one. No one. There's no God like, like our God. There's no God like this God. And then he leaves us with those wonderful words that should leave us stunned for all of eternity. In verse number 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And listen, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Wow. He says he takes their sins. He takes all the sins that they've done. All the wrongs that we've committed against him. All the times that we turned our back on him. And he stayed faithful. He takes them. And he casts him into the depths of the sea. Can I tell you this? He puts up a sign there that says it's a no fishing zone. Okay? Because it can never be brought back up again. Remembered no more. That's what God has done for you and for me. Friend, when's the last time that you were broken before God? For someone else's sin. That it brought you to the place that you, you, you came to the Lord and, and, and you were begging Him for mercy. Not for yourself, but for, for others. For others. Maybe if we were broken over our, the condition of our nation, maybe then we would actually see change. But I think the reality is, is most Christians are too busy pumping the fist at the national leader's that they don't have time to bow their knee to the God of heaven who can actually make a difference. Friend, we have a God that keeps all of His promises. The promises that He will deal with sin and listen, that He will keep you for all of eternity. And whatever this book says, you can take it to the bank because it's always true. And friend, God desires to walk with you. How close are you to the Lord this morning?
Can you honestly say that you're walking with Him? That you're walking. Not, no, 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 listen. Not that He's walking with you. God, I want you to just, I just want you to conform to my life. No, 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 no. God, help me to be changed into your image. Can you honestly say you're walking with God? Because that's what he desires for your life. Friend, the book of Micah is a powerful book. It's an awesome book. And as we close the pages of it, who is like the Lord? There's none like him. And I hope this morning our attentions turn to him. And I hope it changes our heart because of who he is. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for the truths that we can find in this, this incredible book, this small book of Micah. I pray, God, that some of the things that we've learned, Lord, would change our lives today and each day moving forward. With heads bound and with eyes